Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. And man, we've got a lot to go over this week with my friend Paul Burmeister of NBC Sports, my podcast partner, and so much to talk about. But let me just sort of preview what we're going to go through. So we're going to go through the early stages of free agency, the first 24 hours, what happened, what didn't happen, who won, who lost, blah, blah, blah. Um, Then we are going to discuss probably the two biggest stories of the last 48 to 72 hours, the status of Deshaun Watson, where he might go, what are the looming issues remaining for Deshaun Watson, and also Tom Brady's return. Although I think a lot of us thought there was a good chance he was going to come back. The way in which he did come back and his timing Uh, really impacted the first stages of free agency. Um, Then we are going to uh, go to an interview that I did at the scouting combine with Josh McDaniels, the new coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And um, so we've got a packed, packed podcast. Paul Burmeister, how are you? Doing well, Peter. How are you? I was, uh, I've been thinking about you the last day, just in terms of the NFL calendar. And I know there are certain busy times that pop up, but uh, just wondering before we get into the details, the, the first 24 hours of NFL free agency, how do they compare to some of the other urgent times that we see on the clock throughout the year? Well, you know, Paul, as I wrote in my column this week, and look, I was finished with my column at four o'clock Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and uh, I, told my editor, Dom Bonvasudo, hey, listen, this is it unless something breaks tonight. And then obviously Brady happened. But let's take Brady away. What I basically wrote in my column this week was this is always sort of the weirdest column of the year because it's almost fruitless for me to say, hey, here's where I project the top free agents to go. And what I said at the top of my column uh, before Brady uh, interceded, what I said at that point was basically that, look, I think I only know one thing, and that is that the Chargers are going to go hard after J.C. Jackson, the New England cornerback, and uh, basically if they don't get him, somebody's going to have to outbid him. And that turns out that's exactly what happened. So I guess my point is that this column is always a major problem for me 
Because when you write once a week and your column drops at, I don't know, one or two o'clock in the morning overnight Sunday, then it's kind of not very smart to basically, you know, try to project what's going to happen in free agency. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really do that very much. And then when it happens, hey, I've got the best seat in the house. I just, I laid on the couch. I stayed up kind of late on Sunday night. So, Paul, on Monday afternoon, I laid on the couch, flipping between NFL Network and ESPN, watching their coverage of free agency. And for one point, or at one point, I fell asleep for 45 minutes. <laughs> so I just clicked back and forth and followed it that way. So honestly, I was just, I was basically like a fan just watching all of it happen. How do you, how do you experience free agency? Same way? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have the urgency, Peter, of this. I mean, you, you are a, uh, whether you want to say a, a news breaker or a news go-to person, like I don't have that attached to what I'm doing. So like, People, people expect to come to Peter King and have you know a lot of insight. I can kind of watch as a fan, and I was coming off a weekend of paying close attention to the other football um, with the uh, Premier League and soccer. So I devoted yesterday, like you, I, I did not work in a 45-minute nap, but I was going back and forth between ESPN and my old friends at NFL Network watching just to kind of have it all on my brain and absorb everything that was going on so you and I could go back and forth today. Yeah. I... You know, Paul, I'll just say one other thing about, about free agency in general. And, and let's start by an opinion that I have this year versus, let's say, last year. Last year, there was mania in the first day of free agency. This year, I would say there was restrained enthusiasm. And by that, I mean... Uh, although a few guys got good contracts, big contracts, I'd say in general last year, you know, people kind of led by New England went crazy in free agency early on. And I think there's two things that I think happened this year. Even though there are some good players here, I think the cornerback position is a great example of what happened, Okay. And that is that one guy made what I would call really big money. And that's J.C. Jackson, who signed with uh, the Chargers for five years, $82 million. But if you look at the contract closely, all the guaranteed money is in the first two years. So essentially, while their quarterback, uh, you know, Justin Herbert, is only on the hook for $7.2 million in cap charges this year. So essentially, you know, it's really kind of funny to see how teams handle this part of free agency because when your quarterback only counts for about 4% of your salary cap, this is a year that you can do a lot. And so the Chargers said, okay, we're going to do a lot. We won't be able to do as much next year because we're going to be ha having to worry about a long-term contract for Justin Herbert. This is the year to strike while the iron's hot. But the contract is smart because all the guaranteed money is out of there in the first two years. So I think, and the fact that this contract is very similar 
to the leading contract in the market in 2020. Byron Jones going from Dallas to Miami for a similar contract, not exactly the same, a little bit less, honestly, uh, uh, J.C. Jackson's contract. I think that tells me, and then all these other cornerbacks, if you look at Carlton Davis, in a lot of places, Paul, the second best corner on the market, he got $15 million a year from the Bucks. And then you look at all the corners who are still available, led by Stephon Gilmore, who's healthy, uh, had a good year when he played uh, last year for the Carolina Panthers. And I think everybody is just a little bit more cautious in how they approach the market this year. I don't think you were having that 45-minute nap last year during the first day of free agency because, as you pointed out, there's a lot more lot more um, action. And, you know, it, it came to a point for me yesterday, Peter, waiting for the big news to come. Like, I was going back and forth with Daniel Jeremiah at NFL Network on a, on the tie he was wearing and his wardrobe choice. I mean, there were certainly <laughs> – there was a lull at this time where we were expecting big news to go on. But as far as uh, what you mentioned with the Chargers, uh, I – makes perfect sense and really like what they did when you consider a positive year last year. It all starts with Justin Herbert, but they lose three out of four down the stretch. They give up mid thirties and the forties and all three of those losses. So they're coming out of the gate strong defensively, big names at DN and at corner. I mean, really, I mean, it's not a surprise, but if you're a Chargers fan based off of what you saw last year, you love the start of their free agency. Look, the way I look at, what Brandon Staley did. And I want to relay a conversation that I had with him at the scouting combine. You know, essentially what Brandon Staley told me at the scouting combine was that they were going to be very, very active, um, you know, in free agency this year, in part, in part, because I think if you look at what, the Chargers did, they almost recreated what Brandon Staley had in his one year with the Rams when they were the best defense in football. And so at the scouting combine, the way I usually use my time at the scouting combine is that like this year, I put 30 lines in the water. I texted about, I texted 30, 31 people you know, in the two weeks before the scouting combine. And I just said, hey, here's when I'm going to be in Indianapolis. Do you have 20 minutes to spend with me at any point? And I have a little rubric that I set up where, and I just plug people in. So I plugged Brandon Staley in at 7.15 a.m. on Thursday uh, in the lobby of his hotel. And so we met in the lobby of Le Meridian Hotel, formerly the Canterbury Hotel, basically right next to right down the street from St. Elmo's. And I sat there and he was, we talked a lot about the way the season ended. Why'd you go for it on fourth and one and all that. But the bigger thing that we discussed was kind of his plans going forward. And he basically said, my goal this year is to build a deep team. And you said it at the beginning, Paul, this was 
an average defense at best this year. And that really had to wound Brandon Staley. You could just tell that he wanted to address the defense. So, but he also wanted to make absolutely sure that they did everything to try to re-sign Mike Williams. The way he described Mike Williams was at the end of the year, after the last game against the Raiders, the heartbreaking loss to the Raiders, he said he was in the locker room and walked through and there was Mike Williams. He said, of all the players on our team, he had zero left in his tank. He was just, you know, destroyed at the end of that game, mentally and physically. And he said, that is the kind of guy who I want for a long term going forward. So they re-sign him. They trade for Khalil Mack. And look, you know, Brandon Staley broke into the NFL coaching linebackers for the Chicago Bears. And so he had a year with, um, you know, with uh, uh, Khalil Mack in Chicago. And so I kind of look at Brandon Staley. He's got a jaundiced eye about Khalil Mack, who I said, hey, he's 31 years old now, coming off a foot injury. Uh, but he's convinced that he'll be the in to, um, you know, the yang of, uh, of, of Joey Bosa on the other side, and we'll see. And then, obviously, getting the best corner in the draft in J.C. Jackson, and then getting an absolute space eater in the middle of his line for Sebastian Joseph Day uh, for a very reasonable price, I think $8 million a year. Um, I just think they addressed in the last week everything that they really needed to do with this team. How'd you see the Chargers? Super interesting, Peter. And a couple of things really jump out now, kind of looking back at the last 24, 48 hours, what we've seen from them. Number one, I, I love the deal for Mac because it makes the best player on their defense, Joey Bosa, it makes him even better. When you throw in somebody on the other side, teams have to worry about. Uh, that's number one. It also made me think about the Rams. I mean, the Super Bowl winning team is always going to set some examples and direct some, some mindset at this time of year no matter who it is. So you look at the Rams up front last year, they make that big deal for Vaughn Miller, like Khalil Mack, not as good as he was at one point in his career, but as the second best pass rusher on the line, like Donald was a guy you had to worry about. Okay. We're going to bring in Vaughn Miller. That was an awesome idea. So Khalil Mack, you can argue if he's the first or second best, I think he's the second most disruptive on that line. That's a pretty awesome thing to have on the other side of Bosa. And they probably would have made the deal anyway, if Denver's quarterback situation was still Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. But think about how much different it looks now in that division. Two times they're going to have to play against Russell Wilson. And now they are much more equipped to do so. I'm not saying they're going to win those games, uh, but those defensive moves for so many reasons, I think, look good and make a lot of sense with where they are in that division. I, I just think that Brandon Staley saw the perfect defense, the well-balanced defense, which was, you know, in 2020, uh, the Rams were the number one defense in football. He was the defensive coordinator, you know, and and to him, Derwin James uh, is uh, the really powerful guy in the secondary that he felt he had with John Johnson 
A lot of people don't really know or really understand how important John Johnson was in that defense with the Rams, but he was so integral to its success that year. Um, he's the one who had the green dot on his helmet. He was the one who Brandon Staley was communicating with and was really the leader of especially the back end of that defense. But so so really, he, he has that safety. He didn't have his Jalen Ramsey, okay, at, with the Chargers. And so now getting uh, a really good peak performer cornerback, I think, is important. And look, I think edge rushers are always better when on those questionable iffy downs, third and three, you know, second and four, what are you going to do, run or pass? You need to have a space eater in the middle of that defense. It's why I believe this year in the draft, so many teams are enamored with the big guys in the middle of the line who are also athletic. And that's what Sebastian Joseph Day is. So look, the Chargers, they made a lot of noise, but I think it's all positive noise. Let's move to the contract that everyone has an opinion on. And I want to hear your opinion on the uh, four-year, I think, $82 million contract, which in essence, in the guaranteed money, is two years and about $38 million for Christian Kirk, the wide receiver, mm. who I really like. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I had said in my column that I think this guy is a perfect fit for the New York Jets. Because when I was talking to people, hey, who's going to break the bank? Who's going to do this? You know, over the weekend, um, one very prominent agent said he thought the market for Christian Kirk would be very strong, but at about 13 to 15 million a year. Well, he, in essence, got two guaranteed years at about 19 million. And that, for a guy who's had one 100-yard game in his last 25 games, that's pretty, pretty heavy. I don't know. How did you see Kirk? I'm going to back up a little bit to, to kind of get my point across here, Peter, but I'm from the Midwest. It's springtime, and we're always aware of tornadoes at this time of year back home. And the local news stations would come on with these sirens and these sounds for tornado watches. Didn't mean one was going to happen, but you need to be on the lookout for this thing that may happen. Take cover and get ready. And to me, when you think about overspending in the Jaguars, there was certainly a watch going on because they have two things that this time of year always lead to it, Peter. Number one, they have pretty good cap space. Number two, yep. they have a quarterback they've invested a lot in, could go either way. If he's not a hit, the next three or four years of that franchise are completely in the tank. So they were certainly a candidate to do something like this. So 100% they overpaid to get him. But if he has 70 or 80 catches the next couple of years, if Trevor Lawrence takes a couple of nice step, steps up the, the uh, quarterback rankings, Okay, it was worth it. But right now, absolutely an overspend and no surprise at all. You know, the reason I don't hate this is that even though Christian Kirk is not a particularly explosive receiver, uh, you know, his average per, per catch is in the mid-12s, I, I just, I come out of this saying, I want a 25-year-old receiver 
with upside, who's reliable, who's been fairly durable. And so I I almost fall down on the side of, oh man, that money is huge. But on the other side, you know, this is going to be an important piece for Trevor Lawrence. Now, the Jaguars took a little bit of a detour at wide receiver, and it's a good reason why they were so aggressive in wanting to get Christian Kirk, because obviously they must have known that the DJ Chark era in Jacksonville was over. He has agreed to a one-year contract with the Detroit Lions. And so now going forward, that shows how much Christian Kirk was needed. And now Christian Kirk and the 32-year-old deep threat, Marvin Jones, are going to be the key guys in Trevor Lawrence's passing offense, along, obviously, with Travis Etienne coming back from, you know, his uh, the injury that ruined his rookie year. So he's going to have some new receivers to get used to. They'll obviously draft at least one in Jacksonville. So no more DJ Chark. And I do think that's a big reason why they went so hard after Christian Kirk. And I think that they're going to have a chance, a chance. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think they're going to have a chance of building a receiving core. You know, they also added Evan Ingram. And look, Evan Ingram is a fascinating, fascinating player in this free agency. And because of his drop issues with the Giants, you know, he probably had the worst hands of any tight end in football uh, in his second and third years with the Giants. And and I think that people look at him ve with very much a jaundiced eye. But if you get him one year, nine million, very much a prove-it contract, and understand that the way I see Evan Angram and the way I see Doug Peterson using Evan Angram is he will be basically a versatile slot receiver slash tight end. And I don't mean he's going to be a slot receiver in the pure sense of the word, but I believe you will see Doug Peterson using him as a puzzle piece rather than an inline tight end exclusively because I think they view him as having the ability in his second shot to be the kind of weapon that he never really got to be with the Giants. And look, from almost the start, people were just down on him because of his hands with the Giants. Fresh start is what he needs. I'm not saying he's going to be good, but I'm saying that I think he's got the prospect of being good because remember, when he came out, he was a legit first-round tight end out of the SEC. And it just, I just think, you know what happens, Paul, sometimes? You've seen this. You've played football at a very high level. I think there are some guys, and we're going to talk about one next in Mitchell Trubisky. Sometimes guys just get messed up and it becomes a real challenge to let their talent flow when they're always having some self-doubts. Totally agree. And before we move into 
Trubisky, one more thought on, on the Jags. They also signed Sheriff Brandon Sheriff inside for, I think he's now the highest paid guard in the National Football League, somewhere around there. So it's, it's just all a pattern right away. They have to prop up Trevor Lawrence. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Uh, but Mitchell Trubisky, that signing, there are so many fun parts of this to discuss, Peter. Um, what I like the most is that he's coming off a year where he finally got to sit with all the experience behind him and kind of get ready, exhale, and get ready for this next, this next big opportunity that he's getting. Remember, he only had one year as a starter at North Carolina, and then he dives into all of it with the Bears, 50 starts. They win more games than they lose. They go to the playoffs multiple times. There are some good moments, but because he was drafted second, it was a conservative, boring offense. Ultimately, they didn't do well in January. He gets trashed. He gets to go sit behind an MVP caliber quarterback in Josh Allen, who, like him, runs very well. Who knows what he learned, what he was able to, how much he was able to grow as a quarterback by taking those 50 starts, learning from Brian Dable, learning from Josh Allen. Okay, I'm a different guy now. I'm a more mature person. I'm a more mature quarterback. Let's put all this experience to use now at the next stop. And Pittsburgh didn't have to invest a lot to get that experience to roll the dice with him. You know, what I think is so interesting about this, and I've been advocating for the Steelers to go after Jimmy Garoppolo. Me too. Who I still think was a better option than Mitchell Trubisky. But Mitchell Trubisky doesn't require compensation. And Jimmy Garoppolo would have required, at the very least, a second-round draft choice. Um, I think the way I look at this is that by not playing last year, Mitchell Trubisky did more good to his career than he did in playing in Chicago. And that sounds crazy, but it's almost like uh, sometimes you need to take a breath, get in a good situation, get mentally strong again. And I think I look at this as, you know, the ironic thing is, you know, Mitchell Trubisky grew up in Cleveland, uh, in the Cleveland suburbs, big Browns fan. And now he's coming to resuscitate the, uh, you know, the quarterback fortunes of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, if you think about it, Paul, you know, 
aging is really kind of a funny thing, but you know, 14 years ago, um, you know, when Mitchell Trubisky was near the end of his elementary school years in Cleveland, Ben Roethlisberger was getting drafted. And now Mitchell Trubisky is the one who's being asked to replace Ben Roethlisberger. Hmm. Here's the one thing I would say, which would be a positive about Trubisky for Steelers fans. Okay. I was talking to somebody close to Brian Dable recently, and I made this point. I said, man, it's, it's so interesting to see Brian Dable. And obviously if it's Dable, it also has to be Joe Shane, the new coach and GM respectively of the New York Giants. It's so interesting to hear that they have legitimate interest in bringing in Mitchell Trubisky to be the backup to Daniel Jones, but if he falters, to actually play. And I was told that both those guys could not have been more impressed last year with Trubisky, knowing that he had just been through the meat grinder of another failed quarterback in Chicago, which there's been a lot of them since Jim McMahon roamed the earth uh, 30, finished it 34, 35 years ago. But not only that, but in practice, just watching him play the position, they thought, wow, this guy is really a talented player. Now, you know, Paul, you know this. There are some people who on an empty practice field in Iowa City, you know, can be, I'm sure you've had many teammates over the years who, man, this guy is doing great today. And then he gets in a game and he's not as good. And you look at that and now I wonder, and I, I, I specifically wonder about the mental part of it with Trubisky. How do you like that, that choice of the Steelers? And what do you think going forward can be the future of Trubisky? I like it a lot. And let's, let's, let's preface this, Peter, with this is the time of year to be overly positive. Glass is half full everywhere. Mr. Trubisky is not going to make a poor decision, lose a game, throw a pick for another six months on the negative side. This is the time to look at these moves and see the good. But it would be easy to say, boy, NFC North, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, your response is Mitch Trubisky. Okay, good luck with that. But to your point, and this is what I'm feeling with this too, um, and you mentioned Iowa City, right? Coaches in practice would always say there's only one quarterback out there playing. Everybody else stand back there and get mental reps. Mental reps only absorb so much and help you so much when you don't have the experience to put those mental reps on top of. So again, I go back to those 50 starts. Now you're not the starter. Your number one job is to be ready if you have to play and to get better. Watch somebody else who's better than you play the position. Listen to yes. another coach's words as you watch that quarterback who's better than you. Like I'm a real believer that that, that is a pretty awesome thing that most quarterbacks don't get. He just got that season. So I, again, positive time of year, I can picture that and think, man, what, what a bonus for Mitch Trubisky to take that experience and learn in that situation. One other football thing I really like, and we can picture how ugly the Steelers offense was last year, Peter. Roethlisberger was just in the shotgun standing there. And Mitch Trubisky is not Josh Allen in terms of mobility, 
but they can get under center now. They can run play action boots. That offense can look a whole lot different, not just because it's not Ben Roethlisberger, but because they have a quarterback who can allow them to expand that offense. They can call plays in a much different way. And one of the most subtle things of a balanced offense, Peter, let your quarterback get under center. So I'm just, I'm excited for him. And I'm excited to see what the Steelers offense looks like with a quarterback with a, who's not a Hall of Famer like the former guy was, but has a much different skill set. Paul, this is, and I think it's a smart contract too. Um, yes. You know, it maxes out at two years, 27 million, so that if Trubisky's really good, um, you know, I mean, if he's really good this year, I'm sure they'll redo his contract to keep him beyond, uh, you know, 2024 or 2023, excuse me. But I just think, you know, the prospect for Trubisky of having a chance with some good offensive weapons in an offense that's that wants the quarterback to be more mobile, obviously, than Roethlisberger was, um, I think this really has a chance to succeed. Let me move on um, to one thing that I really noticed in the first day. It, you know, I, I, I teased it a little bit before, but I think teams are being a little bit more disciplined than they were. And by that, I mean that so... I'd say three very interesting quarterback contracts coming out very early on are, you know, obviously J.C. Jackson, $18.5 million, I think, uh, on average, with all the guaranteed money in the first two years. Um, so what does that mean? Well, what it means is that you're paying a guy a lot of money for two years, but in year three and four, you could say eight, three, four, and five. If you want to, you could say goodbye and in a cap way, you're still going to have some, some money from the prorated signing bonus that remains. But essentially, you're not going to owe the guy any more money in that year. Your cap's going to be a little bit hit, but you know, you're still going to have the cash to be able to deal with for the future. But then Carlton Davis, $15 million a year, and Trevarius Ward, who is kind of a sneaky little upset special with the 49ers for 14 million a year. But so what happens now? You know, Stefan Gilmore, Darius Williams, Casey Hayward, all legitimate veteran cornerbacks. Darius Williams, basically the younger guy in that group. All of those guys, you know, spent the first 24 hours of the market, you know, wishing and hoping, but didn't get a deal done. And Paul, to me, what that says is that teams uh, took a little bit of a smart pill before this and basically said, I, I'm sure there's a bunch of teams that would like to have Darius Williams. But the question is, now Darius Williams, one year ago, if he had been on the market, would have been, to me, a $16 million corner. But right now, he wasn't as good in 2021 as he had been in 20. And right now, I think that people are hoping that it'll get in the sensible range, maybe 11 or $12 million a year, so that then they can go get guys who I'm sure they all think, um, you know, can help them, but they just didn't want to overpay for. 
You're thinking about sensible and smart, Peter. I know you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but I want to circle back because I think it's the main point of this conversation with the cornerbacks. I mean, J.C. Jackson and Carlton Davis are making really good money, uh, but those were, and I'm kind of teeing you up here to, to put a tag on this, if you agree, those are more team-friendly deals than player-friendly deals, kind of setting the market for what's to come, right? Oh, yeah, no no question about it. And, and also, I think the other thing that you've seen, Paul, uh, when it comes to team-friendly deals is that teams that have those quarterbacks that you know that they've got a year, maybe two left of light money spending. I think those are the teams you've seen go out and and spend generously now. Like, I'm, I'm not sure, like Arizona spent uh, $10.5 million a year on Zach Ertz and, and they spent uh, whatever it was, eight or 10 million on James Conner. I mean, those are those are okay contracts, but, you know, honestly, you know, what the Arizona Cardinals need to do, um, especially if they're going to have a light year in terms of the money they have to spend on their quarterback, which is still, we don't really know about that, their plans with Kyler Murray. In my opinion, they really have to sign Chandler Jones. You know, you cannot rely on, you know, you can't rely on J.J. Watt anymore. Whatever you get out of J.J. Watt's a bonus. And he might, who knows, he could play 17 games next year. He could also play five. And so I think this is a team that is skating on a little bit of thin ice right now. But I think your point is right. Teams, I think, are being a little bit more conservative. And I think in some cases, teams are going to win this sort of battle. And by battle, I mean... They're they're staring down guys like Darius Williams and saying, "Hey, if you can get 15 million a year, hey, all the power to you. We're willing to pay 12. If you're interested, come back and talk to us." So that's those are the kind of conversations, Paul, that happen on the first night of the tampering period and on the the second day of the tampering period. You know, what's happening is that agents for some of these really good players who are still out there are trying to play one bid against another. And 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as sort of a segue, um as as odd as it sounds, as a segue into one team that I really like in free agency. I'm gonna ask you yours. But one team I like so far in free agency is a team that I think did not get played early on. And that is Cincinnati. So Cincinnati, everybody knew that, you know, after Joe Burrow in 21 games last year, got sacked 70 times, everybody knew that the Bengals had to put a lot of money into the offensive line. So, you know, they looked at the landscape and I think they got to a point with Ryan Jensen, the center for Tampa Bay, who before he resigned with Tampa Bay, the Bengals were very interested. I think the New York Jets were highly interested. They might have gone past 14 million a year uh, in trying to get Ryan Jensen. But at the end of the day, I think the Bengals put 
a legitimate price on players who they liked a lot but weren't going to be and and I, I don't want it's ridiculous to say held ransom for but the Bengals basically made this calculation that Ted Karras at six million dollars a year as a kind of a brawler intelligent center who is not as good as Ryan Jensen, but who's going to cost less than half the amount of, of Ryan Jensen, bring him in, and Alex Kappa, who is also a brawler type of guard, you know, coming in from Tampa. So now the Bengals think they have upgraded at one guard, probably the left guard, and Karras, I would bet, is going to play center for him. And what they will do now is they will wait and see what happens in sort of low-cost free agency at tackle and at guard. And I still think, no matter what they do, I still think what you're going to see is the Bengals hit the offensive line hard high in this draft. So that's my team, Paul. Give me your team that you like what you've seen in the first 24 hours. It's not a big splash start, but it's a nice start for the team that, that, that the Bengals got one of these offensive linemen from. I'm going to go to Tampa Bay, and the obvious one is Tom Brady, and that's just good fortune. It's nothing that they, you know, I mean, it, it's just kind of came to them that he wants to come back and play. But whether it's in two days or a week and a month, Peter, there will be at least one example, if not multiple examples, of players staying with them or wanting to go there to be a part of what he might be able to accomplish with them in the next couple of years. So I, to me, it all starts there, but I love what they're keeping. You mentioned Ryan Jensen. That's a big time keep there as the center. I know that they lose uh, offensive line next to him in the guards. And I don't want to say it's easy to replace a guard, but if you want to be needy one spot in the offense, I think guard is the one place where you, you're like, okay, I'll sign up for that. And I mentioned the name already of Carlton Davis, but not only do they keep him as their top corner, they keep him at a very good price. So I'd love to see them go out and get somebody. I know last year that they made news by keeping everybody. They're not going to keep everybody this year, uh, but I like the start that they're off to a lot. A really good team last year that's kept a couple of good players at very good price. I like that, Paul. Let me, let's segue now into Tom Brady. Um, because I think what you just said, um, there's two points about Brady uh, to be made. I mean, obviously, the simplest point is the one Jim Gray, uh, his podcast partner and good friend, made to me Sunday night, an hour after this news broke. He said, Tom Brady does not want to be sitting on the couch next September watching the NFL and saying, man, what did I do? I'm as good or better than any of these guys you know, or as any of these guys. And so I think that was part of his reason, a good part. But I also think that, you know, Tom Brady right now, it's less than uh, two months after the season, right about two months after his season ended. And Tom Brady wakes up in the morning and somebody else who knows Brady well told me this, that nothing hurts. You know, Last year, after the season, he needed some significant knee surgery. I uh, went to Neil Elitrosh in L.A., the, the, who has become the sort of the heir to James Andrews as the guy who 
everybody wants to get their knee surgery from. But last year, he had to do significant rehab on a knee. This year, I'm told nothing hurts. His arm doesn't hurt. Nothing. And so you look at that and you start thinking about it and you're Tom Brady. You just led the NFL in touchdown passes. You just led the NFL in passing yards. You realize that you're Tom Brady. It's been two, It's been uh, 14 years since he has done that. Remember his golden season with Randy Moss in 2007? He has not led the NFL, you know, so... Uh, you know, so widely um, since back in 2007. So he's sitting there saying, why shouldn't I play? But the key is he spent the last six weeks with his family, some in Florida where they live, some in New York where they have a second home, where they live a lot too, but also in Costa Rica where they go every off season. And then this past week in England. And I think he got, the word, both spoken and unspoken. Tom, dad, do what you want. Do what you think is best. And I think that is why he felt good about being able to say, I want to come back. And there's a very subtle sign, Paul. I don't know if you noticed this, but did you see the Giselle Bündchen uh, social media thing where she said, you know, something like, Hey, we're back. Go Bucks! Exclamation point. I yeah. mean, if Giselle Bunchen is ticked off right now, within an hour of of Brady saying he's coming back, do you think she'd be saying, "Woohoo, go Bucks"? <laughs> I mean, you know, I just that really hit me, and I don't know how what you saw of it, but I don't know. I'll leave the floor open for you on Brady. Yeah, I was I was in the studio this weekend hosting Premier League, and we we went to a break right before the Manchester United. Uh, we were previewing that match, Peter, and the producer got in my ear and said, we're, "We're hearing Tom Brady might be at the stadium, and we're efforting shots of him." But just so you know, if you, if, if we come back and you see Tom Brady, we just want you to be ready for it. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, the Glazer family owns the Buccaneers; they own Manchester United. This all makes sense. And uh, my next thought was, Peter, I'm like, I wonder if he's going to be on the pitch or, or if he's going to be in the stands and it comes back and he's, he's either in the box uh, up in the stands or actually in the stands. So he's up there watching. And I remember thinking, and I had no thought that he was coming back at this point, Peter. I'm like, I wonder what this is going to do to him to feel from the stands, that kind of energy to yeah. watch this level of game. If he's going to think, God, I'm glad I'm not doing this anymore. Or is he going to think I'm dying? I'm dying not to be the guy out there at the center of that attention. And then it's just, I mean, I don't know how much it had to do with his decision, Peter, but the superstar on that field, Cristiano Ronaldo, way in the back nine of his career, probably, if you just look at his age, had an unbelievable game. And it's not just a hat trick, but he had goals of all kinds that, that needed a wide range of terrific skill for that sport. It wasn't just kind of like he lucked into a couple goals. He was fantastic. I just, I mean, as the whole picture came together, I wonder how much that had to do uh, with, uh, you know, his conviction that he was doing the right thing to watch somebody at that age have that kind of game and that kind of atmosphere. So just, I had no idea it was going to happen you know, at that theory, point, but I do remember thinking how he was affected by it. My theory on that is that it may have uh, 
confirmed or affirmed what Brady was already thinking, but he had to know on Saturday afternoon, sitting in a soccer stadium in England, he had to know by then that he was going to come back. And I'll tell you why. This is the second part of my story. So Ryan Jensen uh, had started to hear, you know, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't make any hard and fast decisions. Here's the funny thing about this period in free agency. So everybody says, oh boy, you can start talking to teams and you can start, agents can start talking to teams um, on Monday of this week at noon Eastern time. Well, I mean, let's, let's be honest. They start talking a long time before then and they're all talking at the combine. So agents sit down with a head coach uh, having a beer at 11 o'clock at night and these discussions are already being had. And so you kind of know what the market is going to be for players at that point. So Tom Brady reached out to Ryan Jensen, and I wrote this in my column, Sunday afternoon and said, hey, I'm coming back. I want you. And we got to get this worked out. And as I wrote in my column, uh, Mike McCartney, the agent who, I mean, if you look at Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins over the last six years has made more money than any player in the NFL. And I think somebody wrote this weekend and, and like he's eight games over 500 in that time, you know, without any championship games, without any Super Bowls, obviously. So Mike, Mike McCartney does a heck of a job. He knows how to create leverage. But now Mike McCartney had to go back to the Bucks Sunday afternoon knowing what was going on. And clearly, I think the Bucks knew on Sunday afternoon too. And so he had to go back and he had to tell them in, in essence, and this is how I divined the situation, okay? It might not be entirely true, but I think it's pretty close. Mike McCartney had to go back and say, okay, your quarterback's coming back. He wants, above all, Ryan Jensen and Rob Gronkowski. We all know that. Those are his two guys. He needs his center, especially with the fact that you're probably going to lose. You've already lost Ali Mar Ar Marpet, your Pro Bowl guard. He's retired. You're probably going to lose Alex Kappa. Uh, somebody's going to pay him decent money. And of course, the Bengals paid him four years, $40 million. But my point is, Having said all of that, that Tom Brady, I think, was the rising tide that lifted all boats here. And he made Tampa Bay come up and bring its offer to Ryan Jensen up higher than they wanted to. And, and I think Jensen had this thought, I want 13. Mike McCartney had this thought, I want 13 a year. They finally got up to 13. Three years, 39 million, and he was a buck. It was essential that Tom Brady decide by Sunday that he was going to come back. And if he was going to come back, then he would need for Ryan Jensen to come back. And look, we're all assuming that once the dust settles, 
Rob Gronkowski is going to come back for one more year. Uh, but they just have to figure out how in the world they're going to fit him into, you know, what is already a ridiculously complicated salary cap structure. So I don't know, Paul. That's kind of how I see what happened with Brady at the end. I think it's a good theory, Peter. And just one more thing to add on to the Brady situation. I think it will also help intangibly what they're doing with, with uh, Chris Godwin, the wide receiver that Tom likes so much and I think likes him back uh, being franchised. Nobody likes to be franchised. Uh, I, I think that that will go in a better way with Brady on board now than it would have for someone who's extremely valuable to that offense. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, Paul, let's let's sort of end our uh, our day, our pod, with Deshaun Watson. And I think it's a multifaceted story, uh, obviously. But I think with the fact that a Texas grand jury refused to indict him uh, for sexual assault last Friday, that essentially opened the floodgates for teams to consider now Deshaun Watson. Reports that on Monday he had Zoom meetings at least with Carolina and with New Orleans. Uh, he's probably going to have a similar Zoom meeting with Cleveland. Um, I'm hearing that he may not have one with Seattle, that Seattle may not be as interested as as people think, but who knows? We're early on in this process. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit dubious of, okay, all the sex... Uh, charges are behind him. Paul, there are some very, very angry women who feel wronged by Deshaun Watson, who feel that Deshaun Watson um, committed some sexual impropriety with them. There's 22 of these women. Uh, Jenny Varentis, my old, uh, not my old, she's still very young, a colleague at Sports Illustrated, who now is with the New York Times, um, you know, had a very interesting report last year for Sports Illustrated and in the past few days with the New York Times that the um, Houston Police Department detectives who looked into this case found at least two of the women who filed complaints uh, to, to be very credible. And so my only point about all this is that for these teams that may go all in to sign and, or I'm sorry, to trade for Deshaun Watson. I'm just, I'm, here's a scenario that I would, that I would say, let's say they make a heavy trade and everything. I think aside from a very loud, but probably small portion of fans, probably largely women who are going to protest the signing, I think you risk over and over again in the coming months and maybe a couple of years that the women who have filed these civil suits against them, unless those suits are settled out of court and they basically are paid to go away, that those things could continue to come up. And you're asking your fan base to get behind the new leader of our team, you know, Deshaun Watson. And look, I'm not, he has been found guilty of nothing. 
He's been found liable for nothing. But there's an awful lot of smoke out there. And are you sure if you're the Saints, you're the Panthers, you're the Browns, whatever other teams might want to get involved, are you sure that you want to cast your lot with a quarterback who there's going to be some ugly stuff in the next few months and perhaps years coming out. That is the guy you're going to choose to be the leader of your franchise. It's a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, quite honestly. And you're going to have to take a lot of guff in the court of public opinion if you sign Deshaun Watson. I think while all at once, Peter, that we we can all acknowledge that the, the the biggest step to Deshaun Watson playing football again was taken with the criminal charges. I mean that that's not going to happen. But just because that allowed teams to really consider this and think about it, doesn't mean that all those teams that are interested, for the reasons you pointed out, are going to actually make something happen. Uh, because I mean we're going to hear some things. I mean today, I believe he is. I mean. I believe he'll be speaking in court. We're going to learn some things and hear some things that maybe some teams uh, will make them really reconsider some teams that are interested now. Uh, neither one of us are saying that'll be the route that it goes, but it, I think we all need to be open to the idea that just because the criminal charges aren't going to be there doesn't mean that this is over. And really for me, Peter, it's really, as I walked through that door and thought about the next step here, it's really raised I mean, more questions about anything. I mean, number one, what is the league going to do? I mean, the NFL may step in after they learn whatever they're going to learn. Uh, there may be a couple game suspension. There may be an eight game suspension. There may not be any suspension, but teams are going to have to know that before they're willing to give up a first round pick or maybe even three first round picks. Um, so that's, and the, the, the no trade clause, what kind of leverage does that leave Houston with? And the fact that they don't, they're not going to have them around for that kind of cap hit. They're just, there are so many interesting things that are unknowns that as much as we want to compare it just deal wise to what just happened with Russell Wilson in Denver and Seattle. In another way, this has nothing to do with that. And that precedent won't have anything to do with what eventually happens with Deshaun Watson. So a uh, big hurdle cleared, I, I guess, with the criminal charges. But to me, as many questions moving forward uh, as, as I had before, even though they're of a different variety. I think all of that, Paul, is true. I would just say that, um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger uh, got a six-game suspension for his alleged sexual impropriety, never was uh, uh, formally charged with a crime. Uh, there were just accusations. Uh, and I think that Roger Goodell, with the multiple... Um, you know, cases against Deshaun Watson. He'll definitely get some some uh, sort of ban. I don't know how much it'll be. But be that as it may, I think the interesting thing to watch going forward is, you know, how many teams, in essence, will be scared away by this? And I think uh, several of them have uh, been scared away by it. And we'll see what happens going forward. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. 
The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. So I want to get into my conversation at the Scouting Combine with Josh McDaniels the new coach of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And I want to especially have you hear uh, McDaniels talk about how uh, if this day never came, his life would have been absolutely fine. Um, he was a very well compensated coach under one of the greatest coaches in sports history. And he would have been okay with that. But I think what he's going to bring to the Raiders is sort of a new education that he's learned over the last 10 years, uh, last 12 years, really, um, since he really went down the wrong path with the Denver Broncos. So here's my conversation with new Las Vegas Raiders coach, Josh McDaniels. Happy to be joined by Josh McDaniels here. And Josh, I, I have to say that as we sit here in Indianapolis during the scouting combine, it's so ironic that here you are in the city that everybody thought you were going to be the head coach of this team four years ago. And when we were just talking, I said, I'm really happy that you got this chance because after that, I didn't think you were going to get another chance. Mm -hmm. So, what was that four-year period like for you, knowing that when you turned down the Colts, that you might never get another chance to be an NFL head coach? Yeah. Um, I understood when we made the decision, when I made the decision not to come, um, that it would be unpopular. <laughs> uh, but I also felt like it was the right thing to do uh, for a number of reasons, and I think that's been you know widely reported about what those were and why we didn't go. But um, I, I just felt like making the right decision for my career, my family was most important at that point. So we did that and then I, I never really thought about it, you know, day to day, year to year, you know, what if this happens, if I never get another opportunity. I'd never stressed about that. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career in the NFL been fortunate to be around great people. We have great experiences. We've been to Super Bowls and, and done some of those amazing things. And, um, you know, if I never had the opportunity, you know, I, I, I would never look back on it and say, you know, wow, my, my career was, you know, a failure or we didn't really enjoy our opportunities in the NFL. I think to me, I, I, I feel fortunate. Um, I also feel like I tried to handle that situation the best I could. Um, and have continued to do so uh, since that day. And I feel blessed that I have the opportunity to be here as the 
head coach of the of the Las Vegas Raiders. The two differences, or the differences between the head coaching opportunity you had in Denver a little over ten years ago, and then the opportunity you were going to have in Indianapolis, is that and this one is that you were with a good friend of yours, and almost I guess you'd almost call him mostly a lifelong uh, acquaintance, Dave Ziegler, who's going to be the general manager, and. You know, you didn't have that in Denver. You didn't have that in Indianapolis. Nothing against either guy who was your personnel guy, mm-hmm. and especially Chris Ballard, who I think is a great general manager. But how big of a deal and how important is it for you to have somebody you know so so well handling personnel? Really important. Um, I think that relationship is one of the key parts um, to having success in this league and especially when you're coming in fresh and you're trying to you know establish your philosophy and your culture in the building um, it's just it's invaluable to me because I know what's going on on the third floor of our building um, I, I understand his vision because it's shared uh, by me and and so he he's taking care of those things they're they're putting together you know the free agent you know board they're handling the draft preparation and then you know we're dealing with the things on the coaching staff that we need to be doing right now to get caught up um, there's just such a trust there's such a respect there's such a loyalty to each other and to the vision that we have in terms of trying to build the football team the way we feel best about doing it um, that I just it's not comfort it's it's a good feeling that you can trust that person in that position. And also the synergy between the two of us, it's not gonna take us two years to learn our vernacular. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we talk about what I'm looking for in a sub back or a third down linebacker, like we already know what that is. And we already know what that looks like. And we don't have to have, you know, meetings and meetings and meetings about it to discuss it and to learn it. And the other thing that's really important for me is Dave and I can disagree. Uh, Dave's an independent thinker. He's a great evaluator. He's really, really good at his job, and he's not a yes man. And there's two guys here that are going to do the work and going to talk to each other, and we're going to have some disagreements. And at the end of the day, we're going to work through those to find the right solution. We always have. And I really respect that about him, and I think that's something that I needed and something that I'm looking forward to to working with. What was really interesting is that Everybody who covers the Patriots, who I know, thought that Bill Belichick really liked Dave Ziegler a lot Mm -hmm. and that he would have been loath to see him go. Mm -hmm. So was it difficult for Dave to leave? I don't want to say the comfort of Bill Belichick. Mm -hmm. or, Or what do you think led to this partnership kind of happening in Las Vegas? I think Dave, um, Dave's taken the stairs, you know. Um, he didn't get in an elevator in the National Football League and go to the yeah. top floor. Um, you know, when we, when we first started working together in Denver, he was the lowest guy on the lowest totem pole, you know, and that was okay with Dave. You know, he, he learned it from the ground up. It's very similar to what I did with Bill in 2001, and he's just continued to make his way. You know, and then he came over to New England from Denver in 13, and he's continued to add a little bit of responsibility year by year. 
Um, and he's, he's worn a lot of different hats. He's seen a lot of different things. Uh, this last calendar year was, I think, invaluable to him. You know, when Nick left and he had some Nick added responsibility. Nick going to Houston. Yeah, yeah. And had some added responsibility. Um, you know, that was a different view of things for Dave and an opportunity for him to contribute in another area um, with Bill. And, and so I think Dave has earned his opportunity. Um, really happy for him and his family. But, you know, when he had the opportunity to come out and speak to him, and then I was able to come out and speak to him. It just, Mark Davis. Yes, yeah. Mark and, and, and Tom and Dan, the group that, that yeah. met with us and did the interview. Um, it just it felt like it was we were aligned. You know, I could tell right away that that Mr. Davis, he's committed to winning. He wants he wants a good pairing. You know, he wants a good partnership. He wants people that can challenge one another, but that will work together to try to produce the results that he's looking for. And again, Dave, you know, Dave did a really good job in his presentation. And um, again, very fortunate to be with him. Somehow, I don't know why this is, and you'll have to explain it. I just never envisioned you the head coach of the Raiders. You know, you don't seem like the guy who would go paint his face and sit in the stadium to me. You're a little bit more straight-laced than that. I am. But, but, but are you a little bit shocked that you were the Raiders coach? Because I know how much you sort of revere football history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, maybe, maybe before I went out there, I might have said that. But um, I think the, the story about how that kind of evolved for me personally, you know, is, is kind of neat. I mean, I, I went out there with an open mind and an understanding that this might be a good opportunity. Um, and I, I do. I have, a very, uh, I have a very deep respect for the game of football and the history of it and the tradition Can you tell me that... The story about your grandmother yes. teaching you the football encyclopedia. Yes. I have a football encyclopedia in my office at home, and it's you know it's 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 rather thick, um, you know. And and she used to read that to me when I was four or five years old, and I knew who Crazy Legs Hirsch was and Otto Graham, and you know I I I knew the teams, I knew the players, I knew the numbers, I knew the jerseys. She would flip the pages. I would point the the people. She would tell me the stories. And so a lot of those names on the ring of honor in all the stadiums across the league, like I know most of those players, if not all of them. Uh And, and so when you walk into the facility in Vegas, you just feel the difference. You know, this is one of those teams. This is one of those historic franchises that has such a tradition and a, and a history uh, and a story. You know, there's, a, there's such a story about this team. And so when you walk through the halls and you see Ken Stabler and Marcus Allen and Howie Long, and the list is endless, Al Davis and John Madden. And, you know, the football history part of it really set in with me. And it was one of the very first emotions that I had before I even did the interview was this place is different and this place is special and and to go through the interview and have the opportunity to have this opportunity today um it it might not have seemed like i i I would have been a fit prior maybe i'm a little conservative but i'm not going to wear the shoulder pads and paint my (laughs) face 
But to have the opportunity to be the coach of the Raiders, special. It's special. It's just it's not like every other organization, every other franchise. It's different, and and it's such a privilege to have this chance. Um, I want to ask you one thing about sort of taking this job at this time. The times I've asked you about this over the years, you honestly, maybe you were just trying to convince yourself, I don't know, but I'll ask you. If you were never a head coach again, mm-hmm. would you have been all right with that? I would have been okay. I would have felt I would have felt like I left something out there for my father. Um He's, you know, he's... Your ex- father, you know, kind of an old yep. high school football coach. Yep, Hall of Fame. One of winningest football coaches in, in the history of Ohio. Yep, and he's he's in his young 70s now, and um, he's the reason why I do this, you know. And so when I was growing up and four and five years old, he I was at practice. I had the whistle around my neck. I had my socks pulled up to the, my mid-calf like he did. I had my hat on. I had my shirt tucked in, and that was my dream is to be like him. And so um, of all the things I've been fortunate to experience in the NFL, which there's too many to talk about, and I was so lucky to have those experiences, the one thing that I really wanted to have another chance at after the Denver situation was I really want to do that better. I want to have another shot at this. I can do better than that. And I was trying to be patient with it. And lo and behold, the opportunity presents itself again. And um, I want him to enjoy this, you know. I don't know how it's going to all turn out, but I know I'm at peace with being here with the group I'm with. And we're going to give it everything we got. And I think he'll enjoy this. My mother will enjoy it. Um, My kids will enjoy it. My wife. And uh, we're going to work like hell to make it a success. But... Um, that would have been the one regret that I would have had. Nothing personally for me, but for them to have the opportunity to to watch their son do this and try to do it right, um, that's the one thing I wanted to do, and I'm going to try to do everything I can in my power to get it right. How do you think you're better or different than you were 12 years ago in Denver? Clearly a different perspective on how to protect and and grow the the culture in the building um i i said it at my press conference i think i knew a little football when i got hired um not enough but i knew a little um i didn't understand the dynamic of how to really you know make sure everybody in the building understands that their their contribution is significantly valued and that they love coming there every day um it wasn't that I didn't feel that, I just didn't protect it. I didn't do enough. I didn't act enough on that. And so, um, you know, after stepping back from Denver and really having a chance to digest that and, and look at it from a different perspective, um, I didn't do that well enough. And so people and the way that I interact with them, I think everyone would, would tell you that there's been a significant difference for me personally as I've grown in the last decade. And I've been able to put that into motion with our staff in New England, our side of the ball. And, you know, it's half the team. But I think people would would tell you that that's that's what's happened. And it was a change that I wasn't – it wasn't hard for me to make 
once I figured out how critical it was. Um, I do believe I'm a really good person at heart. I was raised the right way. And now I respect and, and admire <coughs> the people that have done it before me the right way. And, and I'm going to do it that way. But that was, that was the biggest thing, you know, the, how, to, how to try to win and what to try to do on the football field. I think, you know, there's a lot of us that know some of that stuff. Um, but I think this is, this is an opportunity for me to now put that stuff that I learned into action and do it as an organization and make sure that I do it the right way. After you left Denver, I know you once told me that you took a long time to talk to a lot of people in and around the business mm -hmm. and you really wanted to, you wanted the unvarnished truth from people about what you did wrong and, and all that. And I saw in The Athletic, Vic Tafer wrote a really good story about you that basically discussed you still look at that a lot and you look at to remind yourself of hey remember this remember that and all that tell me a little bit about that and what are some of the truths and maybe lessons that 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 little book i guess it is has, has mm -hmm. taught you yeah lessons learned uh it's an excel document and okay. and so it is it's a it's kind of an outline for me to just to remind me about the things that I lived through and experienced and learned from, um, you know, and, and there was good and bad, you know, there was good and bad, do this, do this again, you know, do this is okay to do this, you know? Um, and when you talk about specifics, you know, one of the things I, I talked about was be patient in the hiring process, you know, and we've already been there over a month and we're just finalizing our staff. And so, you know why was that important getting it done quickly is 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 not the point getting it done right is even if you might lose that's okay somebody who you thought they all want to be raiders yeah they all want to be raiders so if someone's holding our feet to the fire you know two days after i got hired you know hey you know i'm going to take one of these other four jobs you know you better hurry up with an offer go ahead i understand you know what I mean? I get it. Go ahead and do that. I really wanted them to want to be here. And, um, and also to really try to make sure I was careful with the chemistry on the staff. You know, you, you, you just, if you just hire seven people and put them in a room, there's no guarantee that it's going to work great. Right. You know, you gotta, I think you got to take some, some care in trying to determine, okay, I got some experience. I got a different perspective here. I got some youthful exuberance. He's yeah. gonna throw ideas on the board that are gonna get slapped down and wiped off quickly, but, he, but he's gonna keep doing it because he's full of piss and vinegar. And then you got you know, some people that maybe have a little bit of background with me, which I have a few of those now, but then I have other guys that are coming from different systems and different perspectives. Did you hire some total strangers? A, a few, a few. Yep, there's no question. You know, uh, a couple guys on both sides met Edgar Bennett when we spoke to the coaches at this at Vegas. Met Edgar Bennett, and I knew within ten minutes I don't want this guy to leave. You know, and you know, and, and so Edgar is a guy that you know I learned a lot about. I knew Edgar as a player and as a coach, but I didn't know him as as a person. And so getting to know Edgar was great for me. You know, and and so kept a couple guys that were there on the staff, and then tried to try to take our time and do it right and so all three coordinators 
I have had some experience with. You know, it might not have been 20 years worth, but I've had some experience with them. And so just, you know, that was one thing. But, you know, delegating and, and letting them do it, do it themselves. You know what I mean? And be there to maybe help a little bit, but not going to micromanage them. You know, I, I, if you hire them right, you don't have to do their job for them, you know. And you don't have to be in the room every, every day. You don't have to do that because they're the right people and they're being productive. Right now we're at the combine. They're not here. But every, every night I'm getting a text message from the coordinators about what they've achieved today. And it's such a good feeling because they're, they're pumping out good work and they're really doing a good job of handling their respective sides of the ball. And um, so there's just a lot of little things like that. And there's more. There's more to come when the players start to get in and we get into practices and training camp and squad meetings and those types of things that I just, you know, I'll take into consideration that I learned the first time and then I'll implement them. And I really, I really do believe I have a blueprint for me to do better, you know, and then we obviously are going to have to do a good job of, of coaching and playing and winning games. But um, I know it's going to be done differently and, I feel really confident about the way we're going to try to do it. Um, this is an, an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Give me the most important thing you walk away from New England with as having been imparted by Bill Belichick. Nothing can be more important than what's right to do for the team. Um, that was always, you hear that a lot. Um, but he, he lives it and acts it and puts it into action whenever there's a tough decision that needs to be made. Um, and he's strong enough to make those decisions over and over and over again. And sometimes that means a decision that you have to make during a week. Sometimes that means a player you want to sign. Sometimes that means somebody you have to let go. Um, doesn't mean everything is right. It doesn't mean you make all the right decisions. But that fabric in that building that I was a part of for 18 years it was, you never felt like somebody was above what was most important for the team. And at the end of the day, we all think this is the greatest team sport, you know, in the world. And it's because there's so many people that contribute to the success or failure that you have as a team. And so um, his ability to sustain that and his consistency to make decisions with that being the number one focal point, whatever's best for the team, because whatever's best for the team should be whatever's best for us to try to win and succeed. And he's been able to do that for so long, whether it was a decision with the staff or logistical decision or roster decision or how to play the game, you know, there's a give and a take. And it's hard to do those things. It's hard to make those decisions over and over again. Uh, but he's he's done it and he continues to do it. And um, very fortunate that I was able to see that. Chris Sims, who was with you for, I think, one year, uh, and who now I work with at NBC, obviously, he he had a great thing when I was asking him, how much longer do you think Belichick will coach? He said, 
all I know is that he is the exact same person on May 12th as he is on October 12th. He doesn't lose sleep over a football decision he'll have to make in a game. Mm -hmm. And he brought up at the end of the Seattle Super Bowl mm -hmm. when he just let the clock wind down. Yep. And you know that if you guys had lost that game, mm -hmm. he would have gotten fricasseed from coast to coast. Mm -hmm. You left Brady with 19 seconds left. Yeah. They score the touchdown. What an idiot. You could have had a minute left with Brady, you yeah. know, and all that. Yeah. But he felt that day that he wanted to put the pressure on the Seattle staff and their players. Hey, you figure out on the run, in, mm -hmm. you know, on the run. But I, and I don't mean to get into that, but what I mean is that if you watch him on the sidelines of that play, it's just like it's July 28th and you're in training camp and it's just an average freaking day. Yeah. And so I always say, all these people say, oh man, I got to get out of coaching. It's killing me and all that. Sean Payton said... Uh, I got to stop drinking three Mountain Dews at two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ruin my health and everything. But I just don't get that impression with Belichick. And I'm sure that you have no idea if he's coaching till he's 85 or 71. Mm -hmm. But I've always thought of that. And I guess I'm asking you, is that accurate? I don't see... He hasn't changed. And so I don't see him changing now. I don't know the answer to that question. Um but I mean, not, how, how long he'll coach? Nothing yeah. will surprise me. Yeah. Um, he still attacks the job the same now that I saw him attack it when I first started in 2001. doesn't matter what part of the year it is. And the big thing that Bill has going for him and has always done is he loves all the facets of the football season, the off season. It doesn't matter what part it is. He, he loves all of it, you know, whether it's scouting or uh, preparation for a game or roster evaluation or team building or it doesn't make any developmental parts of the, 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 the year for the young players. All of those things get weighted the same in his, you know, his day to day. He doesn't, you know, go up and down and ride a roller coaster. He, he's very consistent and he tries to make the right decision every day and he makes a lot of them. And we're all going to have to make a lot of them. And I think that's another thing for, as, a, as a younger coach that you see and you say, you know what, you can't go up and down with every day-to-day -day decision that you make because you're going to make a lot of decisions. And some of them are going to be good and some of them are, are not. And the ones that are good, you can't get too high. And the ones that aren't, you can't get too low You just because you're going to have another 20 decisions to make the next day. And I think to me, his consistency and his approach has been remarkable. And I don't, nothing will surprise me. If he's there 10 years from now, it wouldn't surprise me to see that. It's amazing. Robert Kraft told Mike Florio that he hopes he coaches till he's 85 because you look at a lot of the titans of industry who are still practicing their profession mm -hmm. at that age now. Yeah. Age is really. It's so different now with people living till everybody, well, you don't want to say this, but so many people live much longer lives. 65 almost seems like middle age anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he, <laughs> and you know, he's evolved, you know, which is, which is a lot of people would say, 
probably that probably we don't do that you know when we were there and that's not true like things have he's changed things every year that I've been there for the better and is there a new way to do it is there another thing we can do is there a technology that's applicable now that wasn't you know five ten years ago um, you know all of those things are part of his process he's not afraid to do that and so um, like I, I like I said I don't think anything would surprise me with him Josh McDaniels, good luck with the Raiders. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. My thanks to Josh McDaniels and to Paul Burmeister, as always, uh, for their contributions to the podcast. An awful lot going on. By the time you listen to this, there will be a few more headlines. But for now, thanks for listening to us. And we'll be back next week with another podcast and a preview of the coming NFL meetings and especially what that means to the new overtime rule because I do think there's going to be a proposal for the new overtime rule going into the league meetings starting in a week and a half. Thanks a lot for listening and for watching, everyone. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.